0: Thank you, Tom and Tony. Friends, if you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 11, if you brought your Bible, you can find that, Genesis uh, chapter 11. If it's in the Pew Bible, it's on page 8, ocho. And I invite you to keep your Bible open this morning as we look at the text. This morning, we began a 10-week series titled, Footsteps of Faith, Abraham, Sarah, and the Promise of the Covenant. Have you ever done a study of the life of Abraham and Sarah? It's fascinating. I think that God has a great blessing for us this fall as we look at God's word from Genesis chapter 12 all the way through 22. Now, in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, the Apostle Paul wrote of their significance. He wrote this, Those who believe by faith are children of Abraham. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are, as Pastor Andy said, a child of Abraham. He goes on in verse 29, he adds, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so there's something in this for us, that we are our offspring of Abraham, that he's the father of our faith, and that we are heirs according to the promises that we're going to be looking at this fall. We are going to retrace the faith journey of this couple that lived 4,000 years ago and the implications of God's call on their life. And so the hope is that we would grow in our own faith journey and our own walk with Christ, the promise keeper. His name was Abram, later changed to Abraham. Her name was Sarai later changed to Sarah, and they turn out to be the most significant figures in the ancient world, surpassed only by Mary, the mother of our Lord. So now as we look at this text, I'll read Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, through the call on Abram's life in Genesis 12, verse 4. Listen now to God's word. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milka, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milka and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, as we begin this journey, I am very much looking forward to seeing and hearing and experiencing what you have in store for us So Lord, I pray that that would begin this morning. I pray, God, that you would speak through me, that you would have a word uh, today for my friends, my brothers and sisters, our visitors who are listening now and those that will be listening to this uh, recording. I pray, God, that you would do a good work in our lives. And I pray, God, that that my words would would pale in comparison in, in our reflection on this text to what you have to say to us right in your word your letter of promise and hope for all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I said that Abraham and Sarah are the most significant figures in, the, in ancient history. Now, now, was that because of their status? They were from the Ur of the Chaldeans, this incredible metropolis, 500,000 people, a postal service, a library, and all kinds of commerce. Was it their status? No. Was it their great wealth, the great wealth that Abraham had, so much so that we'll, we'll read later in weeks to come, that he and Lot need to separate because there's just not enough resources for all that they're traveling with. No. Their significance lies in the fact that in and through this one couple, God initiates his ultimate plan of redemption for the human race and all of creation. That's where we're going. But before we get there, let's look at the biblical context for just a moment. Now, if I were to ask you to take your Bible and and I said, split this in two halves, you probably would would say, well, I guess I'll split it between the Old and New Testament, right? And you'd be right. That would be a, a very smart way to split the two. But I want to argue this morning that there is a a deeper theological way to split this book in two. And that is this. Genesis chapter 1 through 11, and then Genesis 12, all the way to Revelation chapter 22. Here's why. In Genesis chapter 1 through 11, all of the universal themes are covered in the course of many, many generations of countless people. All of the universal themes. We have the origin of life. We have the origin of man. We have the first family. We have the first sin. We have the first murder. We have the rise of nations and much, much more. All of them are covered in these first chapters. The historical accounts of Genesis 1 through 11 follow the same pattern over and over again. And here's the pattern. Grace, rebellion, judgment... New grace. I call it the gospel according to Genesis. Grace, rebellion, judgment, new grace. Why don't you say that with me? Let's say that together. Grace, rebellion, judgment, new grace. This is a four-fold cycle that's repeated again and again in these, these universal themes throughout these first 11 chapters. Think with me about Adam and Eve. God offers the first human beings everything they need to be fully human and fully alive. That's grace. But they rebel. They're suspicious of God. They they believe God's holding something back. Something, Something God's holding back. And so they make the disastrous decision to try to live independently of God. And then judgment comes because of that. Paradise is lost. They're cast out. But then God brings new grace. They don't die despite the fact that there was a threat of death. God graciously clothes them and provides for them. Again, think of the story of Cain and Abel. God graciously gives Cain a brother. Now, some of you that have siblings, maybe you don't think that's quite such a gift of grace that God's given you that sibling. But this is the first brothers here. This is a God given grace. Yet Cain rebels. He kills his own brother. And God responds in judgment. The Bible says that that Cain Cain will no longer be able to grow a crop. Cain can't even grow weeds. God said, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And yet, after judgment, God still initiates a new grace. God makes a, a special arrangement to protect Cain. The best illustration uh, would be Noah. Once again, God graciously provides humanity everything they need and yet they rebel in the most awful ways and so God responds in judgment. God says, we're going to just wipe the slate clean with the flood. But God spares Noah and his family and the animals two by two and through Noah, God repopulates the earth Now, when he repopulates the earth, have human beings changed at this point? No. Their character, their nature, our character, nature is still the same. Still rebellious, and yet God brings that new grace. Grace, rebellion, judgment, new grace. This is the gospel according to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 through 11 is illustrated. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, in a nutshell, Romans 5, 20 says this, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Then we come to the climax of Genesis 1 through 11, the Tower of Babel. Now remember the scene. All the people on the face of the earth speak the same language, And they've come together and they've decided that they are going to build a city and a tower. Look at Genesis, let me switch back. Genesis 4, excuse me, Genesis 11, verse 4. It says this, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. That city and that tower are the people's attempt to build a civilization without God. That tower is a symbol of their independence. And how does God respond? Judgment. God confuses their language. The the word Babel comes from the Hebrew word that's translated confused. So God confuses their language. More than that, God, God scatters the people. Then what? Is that the end of the story? Where's the new grace? Not just for an individual or a family, but for nations. There's judgment, but there's no new grace. And then our focus comes square on this one family. When we get to the family of Abram, much time has passed. The nations are scattered. There's enmity between people. They are, are fighting with one another. They're fighting for natural resources. They're fighting for turf. But where is God? There is no new grace yet seen. Now that's the biblical context that you need to understand when we get to chapter 12. Chapters 1 through 11 shows all of these universal themes. And then we get to chapter 12. And all the attention goes down on this one couple... And their family and the whole rest of the book of Genesis is about this one family and only four generations of that one family. And what we discover is that through Abraham and Sarah, God's new grace comes to the nations. God initiates his ultimate plan of redemption. This happened 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Jesus All humanity is is under judgment. They're waiting for something. And then we get to Genesis 12, and God works through one couple to bless millions upon millions. Does that sound familiar? Does that ring a bell? Any other story in the Bible? Of course it does. And that's why Abraham and Sarah turn out to be the most significant figures in ancient history. Not their wealth or their status. It's because God chose them to be the conduit of his new grace. Now, look at Genesis 12 with me. And I want you to look specifically at verse 2 and 3 and, and the call of God and, and, and the unfolding of God's promises on this couple. There, there, there's a series of I wills. There are seven of them if you listen carefully. Let me read this to you again. This is what... The Lord, the promise making one, says he will do. I will make you a great nation. By the way, has has Abram done anything yet? Do we know anything about him? Has he earned this right? Anything? No. We don't know a thing about him. In fact, when you start to get to know Abram, as we will over the few weeks that we're going to look at, it's not a pretty picture. This guy's got some issues, he's got some pet peeves. But God says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And all of the rest of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament is an unfolding of the implications of this sevenfold promise. I will make you a great nation and bless you. And yes, the nation of Israel is blessed and we are grafted in through the church. And look at the last part. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yes, people of every tribe and tongue and nation have been blessed through faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about all seven of these promises, but I want you to notice the middle one. God says, I will make your name great. Do you remember what it was that the people wanted in, in Babylon? What did they want? They wanted to build a, a great city and a tower, but, but what did they want for themselves? Look again at verse 4 in chapter 11. It says, we will make a name for ourselves. They were saying, we, we don't need God. God. Let's live without Him. Let's build the perfect society. Let's build something that we can be proud of, something that that we've done, a tower that expresses outwardly the inward impression of sin, inward pride, the desire for glory and attention. And, And that is still so true for us today. Even those among us who are maybe a little quiet or introverted, we still want the attention in in, in a deeper sense. We want the fame and the glory for ourselves and not rightly for God. And that's what these people were doing. They were putting all the attention on themselves and saying, we don't need God. And so they lost it all. But by the Lord's new grace, he promises to Abram, who's untried and untested, He says, I, the living God, will make my name great through you. Your name will live on in history, but it will be because of what I do in and through you and Sarah. The writer of the book of Hebrews makes this connection between the call of of Abraham and Sarah and the Tower of Babel. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But if you're taking notes, write down Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 to 10, and listen for these connections between Old and New Testament. The writer says this, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Isn't that the epitome of faith? It's one thing to have a plan. It's one thing to have an acceptance layer, but to go someplace to accept something that you don't know what's coming, that's faith. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city, see that, the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. It doesn't need, need man-made cities, nor a foundation, nor do we at this church when we break new ground and God's kingdom expands. Abraham was looking for a city whose foundations, the architect and builder, was God. What God is going to do is fulfill these promises through the seed of Abraham. Not the seeds, but through the seed. Now take a look at Sarah. What do we know about Sarah? The only thing we know here is that she's barren. It's impossible for her to have a child. But they wait in faith for 25 years and finally receive a son, Isaac, And then the people of God will wait for a king. And that king, David, will finally come. And then 2,000 years later, after God's promise to Abraham, a boy is conceived in a virgin's womb and is born in a stable in Bethlehem. Through the line of Abraham and Sarah comes Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the promise keeper. He is the new grace of God. Only Jesus can build the city of God. Only Jesus can bring heaven down to earth because he is heaven come down to earth. Amen? Amen. This is the new grace, a new grace that we need to hear in our time. The only hope for the nations is not a a one-world government We're building some towering expanse. We're trying to come up with way after way after way to prop up our economy or our society. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God promises to bless those who give thanks for the seed. And do you notice in here, it says this about those who dishonor you, I will curse. Those who reject Jesus, See how everything turns for every man, woman, and child on what they do with Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only one who can make a name for us. He's the only one who can make something that is truly secure for you. But to experience that, to walk in the footsteps of faith, you need to let go and leave behind whatever it is you're holding on to for dear life. For Abraham, it was his position and status in the Ur of Chaldeans, a thriving city, safe and secure. There was a Wigmans around the corner, an easy way to get to work there and back. Everything was known, four-day weekends. was living the good life. 75 years old, ready for retirement, right? But God says, no, I will show you a new place. And Jesus is saying to you, my friends, come and follow me. Sacrifice what you're holding on to for dear life, and I will show you a better way. The most dramatic changes in your life will come from God's initiative not your own. The people of God that used most mightily throughout Scripture were ordinary people who responded to God's call on their life. I believe the Lord is initiating some new things in this church, in the foundation of this church, and in your life. God begins to show you His plan. Drop your guard. Follow Him. Trust Him. You will see the Lord accomplish things through your life that you never dreamed possible. To His glory. Amen. Amen. Friends, it's now our time to come to the table. All those who trust in Jesus Christ, whether you're Jew or Gentile, all who say, my faith is in Jesus Christ alone. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have Scripture memorized. You don't need to know every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and have all the answers